Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. It's estimated that 45 million people are currently providing unpaid care for a loved one. 45 million caregivers. Donna Thompson and Zachary White are part of that statistic. In The Unexpected Journey of Caring, the transformation from loved one to caregiver, these seasoned caregivers offer a look at the new normal that's formed when life is rerouted. So I'd love for our listeners to first hear about each of your backgrounds in caregiving. Donna, can we start with you? Sure. Um, You know, Nicole, I have been a caregiver all of my adult life, really. Um, I think my caregiving began when my father had three strokes and was disabled by them, and I helped my mom look after him. And then in 1988, our son was born, uh, our son Nicholas, with very severe disabilities and what we call medical complexity. Um, And then, um, and he's 31 now, doing very well, but he is a complicated guy and requires uh, tons and tons of care. So when you say your entire adult life, that just makes me tired, tired. And so I'm looking forward to getting into to more of this, why you wrote the book and, and ways you've learned to help others cope. But Zachary, uh, how has caregiving fit into your life? I think care became most prominent in one of my relationships about 20 years ago. Um, it started with a simple diagnosis of maybe a sinus infection for my mother. And um, I was getting my PhD in communication at Purdue University at the time. And uh, a series of weeks and months passed and that sinus infection was in fact uh, brain cancer. And uh, gathering around in California um, after traveling from Indiana to see my mother. And and at that point, it really kind of initiated us into caregivers in a variety of ways. After the official diagnosis, after the biopsy, um, I made a decision to step away and spend um, time with my father, who was also the primary caregiver with my mother as she transitioned into radiation treatment. And radiation treatment eventually uh, became a death diagnosis. And I'll never forget being in the doctor's office as that uh, terminal diagnosis was provided and wheeling my mother out of that that waiting room, knowing that that was the, the last doctor visit we would have. And then spending time with my mother and father um, throughout the dying process. And uh, that really initiated a, a re-examination of, of all people, Nicole, I thought I would be best prepared to be able to make sense of this experience, to be able to communicate what it means to care for someone in this liminal space, but I wasn't. And um, I've spent the last 20 years researching and exploring and interviewing hundreds of caregivers across the life cycle from parents of neonates to uh, chronic caregivers to end of life communication experiences. Wow. So you you took what was so painful for you and turned it into a, a, a calling, a life calling. How did the two of you connect? Well, we, we originally uh, met because I can't remember, Zachary, if it was you or me who initiated our conversations at the very beginning, but we were big fans of each other's blogs, uh, Zachary blogs at the Unprepared Caregiver, 
and I blog at the Caregiver's Living Room. And we found, um, I think, really similar values. And we realized immediately that we were almost soulmates in the way that we looked at caregiving, but also um, at what we thought was important to caregivers. And we weren't seeing a lot of that in the public discourse about caring. Um, We were seeing what we thought felt like um, sort of uh, cliche and kind of the 10 top tips approach. And we really wanted to have a much, much, much deeper conversation about care and the way that it transforms people permanently. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, Nicole, to the extent that when Donna says the word met, um, all of this is virtual. Uh, you know, Donna and I have never once met each other physically. <laughs> and uh, we have created myriad of things, and including the book, and spent countless hours working with each other, but she's, Donna's right in that we are kindred spirits and that we really set forward to begin providing a way for caregivers to begin talking and thinking and sharing about their own experiences in ways that highlighted their own voice and did not deny the uniqueness of their experiences, but did provide a kind of common caregiver identity for people in this experience to know that they are not alone. Is that the element that's really missing right now that you see for caregivers? Or are there programs in place and you just felt like this book needed to be written because there was yet another thing that needed to be said? I think, you know, uh, that's a very interesting question. I, I think that, you know, we appreciate everyone's contribution. There are so many people giving care today. And... Many, many of them uh, join online support groups and offer reflections on what caring has meant to them personally. And we felt that, w- w- you know, we, I guess we were seeing um, a need for what we would call care literacy, the, the language to describe the experience it's a very, very complicated and extremely personal and private experience. And when people ask a caregiver, how are you? Or what do you do all day? These are very complicated questions to answer. So I think we sort of came to the conclusion that if we could work together to offer language to describe the experience that would be personal to people, so that they could create a life narrative for themselves that included caring, and then they could use that language to advocate for more help locally in the neighborhood, within the family, and to really uncover hidden resources that people might not normally think about as sources of help. I see kindness as being... Um, so interesting in this based on what you just said, because the resources might be there, but you know, when it's your mother, when it's your father that you're caring for, do you feel like people sometimes don't want to accept the kindness of others because they feel like, nope, this is my fate. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Zachary, you can yeah. speak to that. No, I mean, it's such a good question. And it's, it's really complicated um, because 
um, I think that one of the great challenges that caregivers face is that most people aren't equipped or feel they're not equipped to be able to listen to the stories of caregivers and all their complexity. And what happens is that caregivers feel that they are alone and isolated. And what we know, and we talk about this in the book in terms of self-compassion and its relationship to kindness, Nicole, the idea that if you don't um, have an audience to begin making sense of your experiences, it's almost impossible to be mindful of your own experiences without moving into a kind of catastrophe-like experience where you are assailing yourself with this un unrelenting monologue that comes at you in every situation possible. Mm. The, you know, the other thing about kindness, I think, is that I can remember when I was in the thick uh, of a very, very difficult situation with our son in the hospital, and he was extremely ill. And this had been going on for um, months. And in fact, if you put together all of his medical complications, it had been going on for years. And uh, I was, my husband had a big job, and I was pretty much the, very much, I guess, the primary caregiver for our son at the time. And one of the doctors, I remember, asked me, um, which was kind of unusual, uh, what do you need? And I said, I need, I just really, really need you to be kind to me. Mm. And I remember saying that, and I had it, I had a vague idea in my head of what I was trying to communicate in that moment. And it really was about, I need you to be as kind to me as you would be almost to a newborn baby. I cannot take, I won't, I cannot laugh at sarcasm right now. Mm -hmm. I can't take teasing. I, I need you to be extra, extra specially kind to me. And that is what I need right now. And I, I mean, it was such a, I guess, a poverty of language to describe this deep need for kindness. But I think so many of us in caregiving experience this need. And we don't really have good words to describe it. I think those were beautiful words to describe it, and they they make me think as someone who is not currently a caregiver, um, other than to my my children, um, but in the realm that you're talking about caregiving. I think sometimes I go through life so fast and I just assume everybody should be able to catch like the joke, the sarcasm, the whatever, and you're right. It's like when we get very, very, very weary, we need people to be gentle with us. So I'm wondering if the two of you have uh, any advice for those of us who are friends with, with someone who is taking care of um, a child with special needs or, or an, an ailing parent. What can we do to be gentle and kind in those situations? I'll just start and then Donna, you know, come in with an example. Um, mm -hmm. um, I think that a willingness 
to be in the company of someone who is voicing out loud what they may not have answers to and being willing and having the tolerance to listen to stories that may go in directions that make you as a friend uncomfortable and at times uneasy. Those are the greatest gifts and they are an invitation, I believe, to a caregiver's own sense of reflecting that kindness on themselves because that that is the door that opens the possibility for them to be less judgmental about themselves and their experiences and it is a, the greatest gift that you can give a caregiver is a willingness to begin helping them co-author their experiences in ways you may not know where it's going Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's so interesting about that invitation. And I think that's very profoundly true. Um, we need to be given permission in a way to be kind to ourselves as um, caregivers. So uh, having being in friendship with someone who is in the thick of caring and often um, maybe experiencing deep personal loss and grief uh, within that experience. Um, You know, I think the first thing is, well, for me personally, I guess kindness looks different to everybody, but for me, it, it's bringing my friends, bringing food. Mm. Um, I had a very, very dear friend who she's moved away now, but when she was living in the same city as me, she left a cooler on my front doorstep every week and it had meals in it, but it also had a bottle of wine and it Mm -hmm. also had, I remember she would put in things like a decoration for my hair. It was so sweet. And I felt her hug every time I opened that cooler because it wasn't just sort of this is what you officially need as a caregiver, but here is something to make you feel pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, how kind is that? I, I read in some of your literature, I'm not sure if it was in the book or in the literature, that um, caregivers often wear a number of masks And so as a friend, sometimes I think we don't know what somebody needs and then we especially don't know what they need because they might be wearing a particular mask in that, in that area. So it's, I really, I really like that idea of just showing up, you know, and leaving something there that, that, you know, maybe, maybe it speaks to that person and maybe it doesn't, but at the end of the day, they know they were seen. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Nicole, one thing that's kind of counterintuitive that we're told all of our life is that our friends and our immediate family can fulfill all of our needs. And while that is an incredible desire and they are incredible support for us, one way I think for friends and family to be kind is to recognize that they may not be able to fulfill or meet all of the support needs of a loved one who is in the midst of caregiving. And so it's not a personal affront that my, my good friend is reaching out to someone in addition to me, either online or in, in person. It's, not, it's nothing personal against who I am. It is a recognition that when you're in the midst of caregiving, you need people who have similar types of challenges and experiences so that it can 
that you can lean back to the friendships and family members you have without those outlets of multiple audiences. We find that caregivers oftentimes resent family and friends in ways that are really impossible for anyone to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Do you find that um, caregiving is a choice people have to make or are they often thrust into it? And, and does the way they enter into that relationship change uh, how how they do it or how, how, how gracefully it looks from the outside? <laughs> That's a really good question. And it's something we talk a lot about in our book, The Unexpected Journey of Caring, um, the transformation from loved one to caregiver. And I think um, some people, you know, have been in positions of caring all their lives. So they might um, with, they might be sort of the one that's naturally elected or drafted into the position of looking after mom when she's gets elderly and needs help. Um, and, but there, you know, in, in lots of cases, when you look at someone who, you know, maybe young professionals, spouses, and one spouse is in a catastrophic accident, um, and needs years of rehabilitation, or maybe it's uh, you know a, someone in the military who's come back with a serious injury. Y- you people, I think, just as often are drafted into roles of caregiving that they never expected and are completely unprepared for. Wouldn't you agree, Zachary? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, if I might, you know, going back to the idea that um, there are these masks, it's, I just, I was at a support group that, uh, for caregivers a couple days ago, and it's amazing, it was the first time that they had ever really thought about putting together support, and they walked into this room, and in a matter of minutes, Nicole, uh, Donna and I hear this all the time, there, there was laughter, and there was a sense of shared understanding, and there was talk. And what I had them, I said, everyone, can you pause for a moment and realize what may be happening here that cannot happen outside of this room for a variety of reasons. And it's that sense of being able to be your full self and to to talk about the full breadth of this experience that involves both, I would never want anyone else to do this. This is my loved one. I want to be there. And at the same time, I don't want to be doing this. This weird, contradictory truth that Mm -hmm. both is part of that lived experience and we constantly have to to resist in some ways to maintain our previous relationship with our loved ones so it's this weird concoction that opens up this portal to understanding when you are surrounded by people who might be for the first time able to share that they got frustrated and there's mm-hmm. a bit of resentment and at the same time they love their the person they're caring for um, without without denial. So it's this this weird reality that's hard at first for others to understand. Wow. It, it, I, I even almost hate to ask this question because I feel like you just have spent the entire time talking about kindness and caregiving, but can you sum it up for us? What can caregiving teach us? Like you said, those people in that room were being them, their authentic selves and laughing, but what can caregiving teach us about kindness and how to be with others if we're not in the caregiving world? Well, I'll, I'll tackle that first. Um, you know, I think that living with 
um, you know, in a caring role and being um, really consumed by looking after someone else who is, has healthcare concerns, it is, is, amounts to really living with uncertainty and living uh, with um, love and uncertainty. And really the only sort of operating system for that is kindness. It has to be because, um, you know, you're automatically in a role of service. It is 100% Mm -hmm. service Mm -hmm. to another person. And so that requires deep listening and uh, desire uh, to soothe and console. Um, and give comfort. So all of that's kindness. But then over time, you begin to realize the absolute necessity to be kind to yourself, too. And uh, others who may have a role in the circle of care and kindness truly becomes the operating system for the whole thing. Zachary, what do you yeah, think? That's, that's so well put, Donna. I, I, I will only add this that um, what we talk about in the book is that we can learn so much from caregivers about these are innovators in relationships at their most difficult under constraints. And this idea is so different than the way we consider most relationships that we choose, that are always aspirant, that get us somewhere and open doors. And what we can learn from caregivers is paying close attention to how not simply what they do with another, but how they become with another and what it means to reach out, not when things are well and not when things, not when we can gain something, but what can we learn from people who are close to others in their most vulnerable spaces? And if we look close enough, we will find the most innovative people on the face of the planet in terms of how they find a vocabulary for silence, for connection, for peace, for a slowing down of life that helps us see that which we overlook on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of my my father. He had a stroke several years ago, and um, he did not die, but at the time it looked like that could be a definite possibility. And I remember going and spending some time with him in the care facility, um, and I, I don't know, I was there for... 10 days or two weeks or however long I was able to be there. And um, I remember looking at him at his weakest and realizing that all of the little fights, all of the little things, the grudges that I still held on to didn't matter. They just didn't matter. And uh, that we were both humans and we both, you know, and, and it was such a strong lesson for me in in what's important in life. And I was able, even though I was not his primary caregiver, I was able in that moment to learn that lesson from him. I'm wondering if before we let you go, each of you would be able to share a special moment of kindness that you remember from your life or from talking with other caregivers, um, sort of the silver linings in this. Well, I'll start. I think um, the moment of kindness uh, that I that I remember myself um, was a visit in the hospital of some 
of my friend, the same one who delivered food on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, I, I, you know, it was interesting because our son was in very bad state um, he, after a surgery that went wrong. And no one else was visiting. I think everyone else was afraid to come. And she just walked in. She didn't say anything. She hugged me and she said, would you like to sit down here or would you like to go outside for a walk? I'm here to spend the day with you. Mm. And I thought that was so extraordinary because I knew that she had um, a very big job and she, but she made it absolutely clear that she had all day for me. And, um, and it wasn't even about our son. It wasn't even about him. She, she, she came in and she didn't even say hello to him. She focused entirely on me. And, you know, of course, afterwards she said hi to him, but at first it was about me. Mm-hmm. And that deeply touched me. I thought, that's amazing. She is giving herself to me today. What a gift. Zachary, how about you? For me, it was um, just an observation of uh, being present at a time when at, at the intersection between the medical establishment walking away, not not out of malevolence, but with a terminal diagnosis, um, they tell you there's nothing more they can do. And I was, I was struck by friends and families whose good intentions prevented them or inhibited them from coming over for a variety of reasons. And the people that did walk into our home at that time, hospice nurses, hospice volunteers, I was so moved by their kindness of spirit. And it was not because they were saints. It was because they found what we were going through as part of the living experience. So many people imposed their own frameworks on what we were going through. And it was too depressing for them, or it was too sad for them, or they were too uncertain about what to say or how to behave. And one nurse in particular would come in and smile and find joy and speak close to my mother and speak in a way that was understandable and repeat herself the 20 times because my mother at that time could not remember more than a few seconds at a time. And I found that that not simply comforted my mother, but also me, because it told us that what we were going through was real Mm -hmm. and legitimate and valued. And it was not something to be ashamed of or to run away from. And that, to me, was ultimate kindness. Donna, Zachary, you, you have together written a very important book, The Unexpected Journey of Caring, The Transformation from Loved One to Caregiver. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today on The Kindness Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you Nicole. so much. Thank you. And I hope you get lots of refreshing breaks now. And again, as you, uh, Donna, continue to be a, a caregiver and Zachary, if life puts you in that position again, I, um, I hope that you have many, many people to support you. Thank you. Thanks. For more information and support, please read Donna's blog at the caregiver's living room at DonnaThompson.com and take advantage of the caregiver resources at Zachary's site unpreparedcaregiver.com. 
Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section. Thank you.